Hello everyone, Lola here. This episode is a conversation I have with our children's former occupational therapist. And while we want you to keep in mind that this episode is for informational purposes only and should never be substituted from direct healthcare recommendations from a professional that either you or your child or any loved one is currently utilizing. So with that in mind, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome to season five, episode two of the Not Your Mama's Autism podcast. I'm Lola Dada Ali. In this episode, we talk about an often less publicized aspect of pediatric therapy when compared to its counterparts of ABA, physical therapy, and speech therapy. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary describes occupational therapy as therapy based on engagement in meaningful activities of daily life, such as self-care, education, work, or social interaction, especially to enable or encourage participation in such activities despite impairments or limitations in physical or mental functioning. Personally, occupational therapy aided our children in better teeth brushing, toilet training, and overall body regulation. Michaela Wilson our children's former occupational therapist, along with other members of this amazing team, are responsible for why our son can ride a bicycle today. So she and the overall team hold a very special place in our heart. In this episode, Michaela, or Mickey as we know her, talks about the importance of occupational therapy and how it can help kids with various disabilities, or those who are neurodivergent, like my kids, based on their particular sensory needs. So with that in mind, let's get started. Nikki, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Not Your Mama's Autism podcast. We appreciate you so much. For those that don't know, Mickey is definitely member of the village. The village. She is a seasoned occupational therapist and she has graciously given up her time today to speak with us. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me or even asking me to be a part of this. So I'm equally honored. Could you introduce yourself, please, to our audience? What you do where you do it, or maybe where you're moving your services. I know you're in the process of moving right now. So our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. My name is Mickey, pediatric occupational therapist. I was working in Frisco, Texas, and I'm moving to Louisiana back to my hometown just because I'm expecting my first child. And so I want to be closer to family and got to have my, create my own village now. Congrats again. Congrats again. And yes, you know how I feel about creating villages and creating communities and 
So even though you've moved, we we are still part of our village. You're just a, a remote village member now. So thank Absolutely. you. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's start at the beginning for those who might be new to occupational therapy or not quite sure what an occupational therapist does. What is occupational therapy? I would like to actually start with a quote or a description that your son Fella actually gave about occupational therapy because he summed it up in a fantastic way. He said that it's a way for his physical part of his body to communicate with his brain. And I think he nailed it on the head with that one. It's absolutely correct. Occupational therapy in a nutshell, it's a very holistic therapy approach. So means that regardless if a person is recovering from an injury, has a developmental or cognitive disability or emotional stress and behaviors, OT will address the whole body. So we can't just segment the body and say, I'm going to work on only the upper half and then hope that progress will be made in, in a whole. By addressing the body and the mind together as a whole, then we're able to build really lasting pathways for those to gain and retain specific skills. Particularly for the pediatric setting, OT is going to use purposeful play to address certain things such as learning and writing letters, learning to play with peers, or even self-care with like dressing themselves. The goal in OT is to promote one to reach their optimal potential by completing certain goals that can make them more independent and bring joy to their lives. And of course, this will look and be different for each person. All that you just described, how does occupational therapy differ from physical therapy? So the OT and PT can look very similar and sometimes will overlap, especially with our neurodevelopmental kiddos. But there are certain aspects that that are different within the professions. For OT, again, looking at the body as a whole, we're looking at not only how to complete a task, but the functionality and getting uh, the task completed. So for example, a kid of mine, the parent wanted the child to be able to sit down at the table and complete their homework. They, they wiggled too much. They seemed distracted and they had horrible posture. But by addressing the whole body, I was able to tell mom that due to his poor control of his abdominal muscles, sitting upright at the table was a very hard and difficult task for him. And it just made his whole body tire, tire out very quickly and easily. Because he was so focused on trying to hold his body upright in a sitting position, it appeared if he, as if he was he just wasn't paying attention and not being able to sit still. So he was really trying to work on his whole body. And because that took so much, he just couldn't pay attention to anything else. For PT, they might be looking more at the movement of the human body. So this could include the range of motion, the joint mobility, strengthening and flexibility of a muscle or joint. So PT would look at a body's ability to move during a certain task. For example, if you look at kicking a ball, the PT might look exactly at how the movement is or what the gait pattern, which is how you walk, and then pinpoint where the assistance is needed for that to be completed successfully. So for kids with sensory challenges, significant ones, how can occupational therapy help them? Occupational therapy, especially for kids with sensory challenges or indifferences, it will look very different because no two kiddos will ever present or be the exact the same. In general, OT can assist the child in 
navigating an environment and to be more successful in playing social skills by modeling appropriate social interactions, developing and learning and emotional strategies by educating the child to become more in tune with their own body so that they can appropriately address stressful situations and also help with the kids becoming more independent by addressing self-care tasks, such as brushing teeth or getting dressed, especially if the kid has an aversion to, you know, uh, textures of clothing or uh, the taste or the texture of like a toothpaste or a toothbrush. But it's more of getting the child to be more comfortable with their body and then kind of pinpointing what sets them off in a way. And then how can I help them be more comfortable with that or how can we work in different ways to, so that they can be independent and successful? I remember you telling me that OT helps one think beyond what what we traditionally think of the senses, you know, the touch, sound, sight, smell. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? I think the basic four sensory systems that we're generally taught in school is touch, sound, sight, and smell, but there's actually four additional senses, so to make a total of eight. So the additional sensory systems are gustatory. Uh, well, I'll go through all of them. So there's gustatory, which is the taste, the vestibular, which relates to your position and movement of the body in relation to gravity, your proprioception, which is the joint and muscle sensation, so like force and pressure. And then lastly is the interoception, which is sensations in the organs, such as like hunger, thirst, and pain, and the need to even you know go to the bathroom. So you mentioned earlier about the holistic approach when addressing sensory challenges, the need for that connection between the mind and body. Could you elaborate on that more? With those with sensory challenges, the connection between the mind and the body is very, very important. For context, we all have sensory needs. I always tell my parents to think about a time that they were just so upset and that the ability to form a thought or speak or even point out a motor response was just just thrown out the window. And this is because your body's homeostasis was thrown off. So it caused higher functions such as speech to become difficult. For our kiddos with sensory challenges, they feel this on such a higher level than we do. So OT will form goals based on the child-specific sensory processing needs. Um, and that information is gathered through an evaluation, clinical observations, and like, of course, input from the parent or caretaker. And then we can know how to address the child more specifically and individually. You were OT for both of my kids, Felana Lero, for years. What are some examples of some OT-approved exercises that parents can do at home that mimics what's done in your clinical setting? I will start off that like exercises don't have to be extravagant. Don't have to run out and buy a, you know, Costco size of like materials or equipment or anything like that. You can really use a lot of things that you generally have in your own home. Because OT is very client-centered and goals are made for each child specifically, there isn't just like a a one mold of exercises that I suggest for everyone. Uh, A home exercise program can be developed between your OT and use of your child's specific needs will be addressed. Like for instance, Alara and Fella, they are very polar opposite. For Fella, he needs a he needs a lot of exercises that will help calm his mind in order so that he can communicate with his body. So those would be like breathing techniques or yoga poses so that he can really 
attuned to his body. For Alero, Alero needs movement. She needs to go. She needs big, big movements. So that will give her that deep pressure and impact her purpose of the system. So her exercises are going to calm her body in order for her mind to communicate with her body so that she can get in that just right state. And so for Alero, this would look like crashing into you know pillows or jumping on the trampoline. That is certainly the case at home. That is certainly the case at home too, not just in the clinical setting. So thank you for, you know, giving our listeners some examples through just what you've, how you've administered care to Felan Alero. So I appreciate that. What advice would you give parents looking to vet the quality of OT services before they start? So you are a professional in this field, but to a lot of parents, particularly just starting off on this journey, what advice would you give so that they could vet what is considered a quality provider versus what is not? I think starting off, it's generally I tell parents that even question whether OT, occupational therapy is right for them. It's anything if there's any situation that disrupts disrupts your life at home and you think there's got to be something that I that you know can be done to make it a little more easier, such as like my kid just won't put pants on and they can't you know go out in public without pants on, there could be an underlying issue. I think it's quick as a society for everyone to judge a kid and just be like they're misbehaving, they're a bad kid, or you know they just need a whooping you know here and there more often. And it's there's just there's so much more to that. So if there's anything that is disruptive in your home life, I think it's worth reaching out. I've had plenty of parents that start OT and it just started off as a phone call and the mom or dad being, just tell me what's going on and saying, what is OT? Can you help? So I think having a clear idea or kind of saying like what you want your kiddo to accomplish or what is the, the main goal or objective or thing that you need kind of I don't want to say fix, but not necessarily a problem, but that you need help with when you talk to an occupational therapy provider is is crucial because then that kind of helps us guide you in the more appropriate path of what we need to do, and especially kind of guiding us in what assessments that we need to do for the kid. So it can it can range. If your kiddo needs help reading or you're having some you know visual spatial problems, the kid could be having a simple issue as far as they're trying to copy off the board at school, but they keep losing their place every time they take their head you know, off the board to go down to write on paper. So that's something that OT can work with. If they can't write clearly on their paper and they're, and they're trying to stand the lines, but they just can't. So we can help with that or even like letter formation, that can work. Um, if your kid can't tie their shoelaces, we can help with shoelaces. So just really occupational therapy, especially in the pediatric setting, we can really work on pretty much everything but I think if you have a concern or you have even an inkling of could occupational therapy help me just give your provider a call and and I tell people to shop around like you're shopping for a car call a couple OT providers talk to them because one of them will be one that you click with and be like okay this is this is my fit and that's that's pretty much the number one thing just just call and just ask there's no harm in that When you call around and you ask, what are some potential indicators that may be that providers would fit? Or are there any that you could think of that you could? Um, I would kind of be leery for me, especially as an OT. And if if I were to see 
I think if somebody automatically was like, oh, let's get in and let's do, you know, three to four times, you know, a week and just kind of automatic. Because some kids don't need that repetition of therapy. It can be once a week, twice a week. Um, there are some some kids that would need like an intense therapy. So the three to four times a week would work. But I think if the OT or the provider that you speak with isn't willing to kind of even give you a background or kind of even assess what's going on that you might want some help with. And I think that might kind of be a little bit of a red flag. So you kind of want them to be inviting a little bit understanding. And just basically, I think the number one thing I've learned is just for me to be quiet and just listen to the parent. Because sometimes the parents, they don't even really know and they just want somebody to listen and validate them and say, yes, this it's not just you. I promise this is something that I can help you with. And I think the validation for the parent is very, very important. You could, is, is there any additional advice you can think of that you think parents may want to know about as they start this journey if they think this is right for them or right for their children? Don't be scared. Don't get wrapped up in the norms of what society tells you how a child is supposed to act or how they're supposed to be because every child that I have encountered and gotten the opportunity to work with has been amazing in their each in their own their rights. And so I think if you're able the the parents it it works best I find when parents are open and willing to take in what I give them as far as like how I assess their child and more success when the parents are involved. It can't just be like I pick up your kid and and then I'll do therapy and send them home. So I can therapize your kid, you know, all week long. But if the work isn't being done at home, it can be a little more challenging to kind of reach those goals that you want for your, your kiddo. So just to kind of have the mindset that I will most of the time, like I would give parents exercises or different kind of like almost like OT homework to kind of carry over because that would always increase our success rates with the kids and have them be more successful in what the parents wanted to accomplish. So not to be afraid to kind of ask the OT also like, Hey, I also noticed them doing this. Is there something that that can be addressed? So asking questions, being open-minded and just not being overall afraid and just always, I think sometimes parents can get overwhelmed, but I always tell parents that they're the biggest advocate for their kid. So if they see something that they don't agree with, they don't understand, just always speak up because we can't do anything about it unless it's brought to us. So I think that's important too. As always, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please share and subscribe. For those of you interested in how this podcast came to be, please check out season one of this podcast in its entirety, or check us out at notyourmamasautism.com. We've also chosen to tell part of our story in written form. For those interested in seeing written work of our journey, check out The Caregiver's Chronicles, a column on psychcentral.com. See you soon. Not Your Mama's Autism podcast is hosted and written by my mom, Lola Dada Ali, and it's also co-written and produced by me, Fella Ali. My dad, little sister Alero, 
and I are all occasional contributors. My dad, Tosinali, also helps produce sometimes. Big thanks to my aunt, Olane Williams-Ali, who did our graphic design. See you guys soon.